Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 207 of the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is Tim Maluli, and today I have with me Brendan Maluli back again and uh, here to wrap up 2017 for the podcast, which is kind of neat. Yeah, we are filming this, we're filming this, we are recording this a uh, couple days before New Year's, so this will be the last episode of 2017. It's good so, to do it. Do the finance podcast at the uh, end of the year here, so maybe we'll get some extra listeners who are making resolutions and, and trying to make changes with their their finances going into 2018. It's yeah, a good a time as any to uh, you know make make a positive change in your life, I guess. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's always always a good time to think about your finances, make sure you have a plan in place, um, and what better time around than than New Year's? So, you know, if you have a financial planner. Uh, maybe now's a good time to reach out and make sure you're still on track. And if you don't, um, we'd be happy to take your calls and, you know, help you get set up on the right track. Uh, we're going to continue today with the mailbag questions that we get. Uh, got a couple here today. Going to make it uh, not, not too long for you guys. Uh, so let's dive right in. The first question asks, what allocation strategy do you recommend for those approaching retirement? The summary says, me and my spouse are approaching retirement. How should we allocate our investments so that we can protect some and grow some? This question comes up a lot. And uh, the general like textbook answer is, okay, you're approaching retirement. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna tamp down the volatility in the account. We probably want to have some more stable stuff like bonds or cash. Uh, what people I think forget is that if if this is somebody you know around average retirement age in their sixties, um, there's a good chance that a married couple one of them is gonna live into their nineties. Right, and this is something that we've been touching on a lot in the office recently. It's like Brendan said, if you're 60 and you're retired now and you have to make that money last for 30 years, that's a long time. So the textbook plain vanilla answer of, you know, shrink down your exposure to stocks, increase your bond allocation or cash allocation might not be the case for some people nowadays. Makes sense on, uh, you know, the surface level. But the way that we we really dig into these kind of questions for clients uh, is by doing a financial plan for them. Uh, we we can find out you know retirement is not so far away for these kinds of people. So we figure out what it is they're spending on a month to month, yearly basis, and uh, you know we factor in things like th that they're going to get like a social security or or if they have a pension through work if they're lucky. Uh, factor in those. But but what we want to discover is what we're going to need from the portfolio for them to continue living their lifestyle exactly how it is now, minus the job, minus the paycheck. Right. Sometimes, you know, you see on TV, um, 
big firms pumping up retirement for people on sailboats and out on the golf course and stuff. And for most people, that's not reality. So we like to, you know, just find the expenses that the people have on a monthly basis now. And how are we going to be able to continue that? Yeah. Uh, you know, just for regular people, they don't need anything special or crazy to travel all across the globe, stuff like that. Just what do you need on a month to month basis to just continue living your comfortable lifestyle that you have now? Right. And so we take those numbers and we apply it to their portfolio to see what kind of returns that portfolio would need to earn to uh, ensure that that lifestyle continues into the future. And sometimes that means uh, more exposure to stocks than would be you know, intuitive on, on a surface level after we take an examination. Sometimes it means that people can afford to uh, tamp down the volatility in their accounts because they, they don't need uh, big returns to you know, not outlive their money. Uh, but it's going to mean different things for different people. And doing that financial plan is really what allows you to back into uh, an allocation that makes sense for somebody who's approaching retirement because, you know, you, you and, uh, you know, your spouse who are 65 are going to have a different answer than, you know, that guy down the street and, and their spouse who, you know, also 65 years old. You know, your situation could be totally different based on expenses and, and what it is you're planning to do in retirement. So uh, the financial plan is is the driver of, of how we answer that question for people. And it, and it is one that we get a lot. Right. And it's a good thing that these people, they're approaching retirement now and they're asking this question. You it's know, the right like, question. Right. It's a good and, one. And it's a good time to be asking it too. It's always a good time to be thinking about retirement, but you know, it, it would be harder for us to um, make a proper allocation for someone who comes in and says, I'm already retired drawing this amount of money uh, and I'm used to this in retirement and they can kind of see the end game and they're like, I'm going to run out of money. Mm-hmm. It's tougher to make the adjustments at that point in the game because the uh, the, the variables that you play with in, in this retirement planning scenario are really, uh, you kind of are like handcuffing yourself then. It's like, okay, right. well, I'm going to run out and I don't want to plan on dying earlier. Right. <laughs> that's, that's probably not a good one. Yeah. Um, I'm not making money anymore, so I can't increase my savings. Uh, so really the only option left is the investments and you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to be like swinging for the fences with your retirement money going all in and like levering up for anything. I mean, like you, you, you would like to be in a place where you can have a portfolio that, that you can handle. Uh, but if you put yourself in that spot, you may need returns to bail you out of not saving enough money. And that's, that's why we like to work with clients all along the spectrum of preparing for retirement because the earlier we can help people get on the correct course, you know, hopefully we can prevent things like that where, where people are uh, hoping for greater than average market returns to uh, bail them out, so yeah. to speak. The last minute scramble yeah, uh, to try and make things work. So hats off to these people for uh, you know planning ahead and at least thinking about it before they retire. So Moving on to the second question for today's episode. The question says, I inherited an IRA that was passed down two different times. Do I qualify for a five-year disbursement? Uh, The summary says, I inherited an IRA from my grandma 
who died at the age of 95 last year. She inherited the IRA from her son just months prior to her death. Do I qualify for a five-year disbursement? I think that I will get penalized if I don't withdraw by the end of the year, but I am confused. I want to take out the least amount possible when I withdraw from the account. So, Bren, what do you what do you think the the options are for this person? Right. So there are a couple, and and I'll refer to this as uh, a twice inherited IRA. It reminds me of twice baked potatoes. Uh, anyway, moving. You got on. me hungry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so twice inherited IRA. Usually, when when you're the first person to inherit an IRA, one of your options is to take the RMDs from the account uh, based on your own life expectancy, uh, and and this is for people that are, this is a non-spousal inheritance, which is the case here. Uh, this person does not have that option since it's a twice inherited IRA. So one of his options is to continue taking uh, the RMDs based on his grandmother's life expectancy, who was the first person to inherit this IRA. Now, seeing that she was 95, uh, those those might be uh, a little on the high side. It's not going to be the same as if you know somebody in their, their 20s or 30s inherited this. So the, the number may be uh, larger than anticipated. That's something you can figure out pretty pretty easily. There's tables online that'll allow you to calculate that. And, mm-hmm. and normally, if this IRA is with a, a brokerage firm, you can probably get somebody on the phone who can, who can tell you... Uh, exactly what you'll have to take from the account. Right. And this person saying, I want to take out the least amount possible when I withdraw from the account. So that based on the 95 year old hmm. might not be the best option, yeah. but there it, are some other options. Yeah. So the, the five year disbursement, uh, is certainly an option too, as well as, you know, taking, taking a lump sum, which is always on the table when you inherit something like this. Uh, there's, there's going to be Taxes, obviously, that money coming out of an IRA has never been taxed. Uh, it was, you know, tax deductible when when it went in. So it's going to be ordinary income uh, when when you take it out, which is just you know something to keep in your back pocket. You certainly want to know that. Um, so I, I think that the lump sum, the five year disbursement, or uh, continuing the RMDs of the grandmother are are the options here that I that I can think of, uh, and you know. One of those is going to yield the lowest number, so whichever one that is is the one to roll with if the objective is to take out the least amount possible and, and continue letting the rest of it grow tax-deferred. So right. that's that's what I would recommend. Yep. So good to know uh, that this person has options, and they'll just have to figure that number out on their own and yeah, it's pick based the lowest on the value one. of the account. So uh, you know, you take the value, apply it to the uh, life expectancy tables to, to find out what, what the RMDs would be, and, and that should give this person a better idea of, of what they can take out of it. Right. All right, moving on. Uh, the next question asks, where should I move my 401k account from my past employer? The summary says, I set up a 401k account through Merrill Lynch with my past employer. Do you have any suggestions for places I could move it? There's, there seems to be some sort of misconception amongst some people. Um, they think that they need to move their 401k when they switch jobs. That's not always the case. Uh, a lot of 401ks allow you to leave the 401k where it is. Um, depends on the employer or the plan. They, they might require you to move your 401k, but if they don't, just know that you don't have to. You can leave it at 
or through Merrill Lynch. You can leave it in the plan. Uh, so that's always an option. Yeah, in most cases, the only the only time they're gonna force you to move the four hundred one k is if you have uh, a very low balance, so something under ten thousand uh, dollars. You, you might run the risk of them contacting you to, you know, alert you to the fact that that you need to move it. In which case, roll over to an IRA is is definitely an option. Uh, you you always have the option of just taking the money from the account, but there is going just going to be a ten percent penalty. Uh, if you're not assuming you're nine and a half. Right. Um, so uh, that's an option. A lot of young people end up doing that because they have a couple thousand bucks in a 401k and they're changing jobs frequently. So, uh, you know, not, not that I would necessarily recommend that, but if that, uh, seems like a, a good option for you, uh, maybe it's something you think about roll over to an IRA as an option. You can leave it like Tim, had alluded to. Uh, you could also see if uh, the place you're working now allows rollovers into their retirement plan if, if there's one offered through work. So those are probably uh, you know the four options that you would want to consider. None of them none of them are bad. Uh, it's it's just an answer or it's a, a question rather of uh, what what is the best answer for your situation right now. What are what, what do you need to accomplish? So right. And in terms of of what they were asking where. Uh, should they think about moving it to uh, any discount broker? Really, you know, uh, we like like to use TD Ameritrade here. Uh, you could go to Vanguard or Fidelity anywhere you, that you could open up an IRA to roll it over to. Um, not really, you know. Um, it's it's personal preference. So wherever you feel like moving it would be fine. Yeah, yeah. All the all the major brokerages be happy to have your account, and just you want to look into cost of having accounts somewhere and uh you know if they have any limitations on in terms of account size but most places these days will be happy to accept your rollover so uh you know do your homework and, and find out which one is the best fit for you yep all right so we're going to move on to the last question for this episode the final question asks i'm 24 and contributing to a simple ira what else should i be doing to prepare for retirement Summary is a little longer. It says, I am 24 years old and I'm trying to figure out what to do for retirement. I work as a structural engineer and I earn roughly $68,000 a year. I am currently putting away 11% of my salary into a simple IRA with a 3% company match. At the end of this year, I will have about $23,000 in the account. Is this sufficient or is there something else I should be doing? I am enrolled in an online master's degree program right now. After I make my final payment in January, I will have a little bit more flexibility with my cash. So, Bren, what should this 24-year-old be doing other than his simple IRA to prepare for retirement, if anything? Well, first and foremost, I know that something you and Tom discuss very frequently on the podcast is the need to have an emergency fund, especially for a young person. Uh, this seems to be a step that gets bypassed pretty frequently. Uh, people are focusing on saving for retirement, which is great. I love it when especially young people are you know focused in on, on something that's important like that. But, but you don't want to put the cart before the horse and uh, send money to a retirement account that'll have penalties you know, in, in terms of you know, getting access to the money uh, when, when you don't even have three to six months of money socked away in a savings account, uh, for emergencies. So that's 
probably step one to make sure that this person has that covered. Also, another thing to, to keep in mind, I was once a 24-year-old a uh, long time ago, <laughs> a year or so ago. <laughs> um, but just being, you know, being that young, um, there are probably a lot of bigger purchases in your life along the way. We talk about this a lot too. Um, I don't know this person's situation, so they might be fine, you know, renting an apartment for their entire life or renting a condo or a house or something like that. Um, but if you're 24 years old and you have plans of, you know, someday buying a house, that is also something that you might want to put money, um, not tie it up in an, in a retirement account, um, that's, um, that's a great point. Yeah. You want to have access to that money. So even if it's something where you plan on buying a house and it's more than five years away, let's say, like like maybe this person plans on buying a house in their 30s at some point, uh, you, you don't want to have a penalty for accessing that money. So maybe you save it somewhere else where you can invest it since you have a long enough time horizon to do so. Uh, but you, you wouldn't want it in the simple IRA. Maybe it just goes into a brokerage account. Right. Because at 24, buying a house might not be right around the corner for this person. But at the same time, uh, you know, they're going to be buying the house most likely before they're 59 and a half. So, you know, maybe just a, a regular brokerage account so they could invest the money over the next five to 10 years or whenever they want to uh, use the money to buy a house. But Right. You know, another option could be uh, a Roth IRA, which they could contribute, you know, based on $68,000 salary, uh, if this person is single, uh, not married, they could contribute to a Roth IRA up to $5,500 a year. And you can always get your uh, contributions to a Roth IRA back without penalty because the money goes in after tax. Uh, so you can always get your basis back uh from a Roth IRA if you want. So it's a more flexible way where you could put money in there that you hope is for retirement, but also know in the back of your mind that you can get access to it in an emergency or if you do end up needing it for a home, you can access some or you know most of the money that's in there depending on how it's invested. Uh, the, the gains from the account, any, any money that you make via investments in a Roth IRA, uh, there's, there's gonna be a penalty for taking that out prior to 59 and a half, but you can get some of the money back from a Roth IRA, uh, which is a good option to have. Uh, additionally, one thing I wanted to add was that um, if this person wanted to contribute more to their simple IRA, uh, they sounds like they can, since eleven uh, percent of you know sixty eight thousand dollars a year is you know seven thousand dollars something like that. So uh, simple IRAs you can put in up to twelve thousand five hundred dollars uh, for the year as long as you know, he's making, he is making more than that. So he should be fine to bump that, that percentage up in terms of, uh, if, if he has all these other things that we've talked about covered and they don't seem to make sense for a situation, uh, this, you know, could be a scenario where he just bumps that percentage up so that he's maxing out the simple IRA that he already has. Right. So to sum up, you know, this person could max out the simple IRA that they already have. And then if they want to keep saving in a retirement account, a Roth IRA sounds like a really good option for them. Uh, they could put $5,500 in and be able to take out those contributions if they want to buy a home. Um, and then yeah, on top of that, if they still have extra money that they want to, that they want to save, you can open up a, just a regular brokerage account uh, and put as much money in there as you want and invest it and take it out when you need it. Mm -hmm. um, All good options. And that was perfect summary to... Uh clarify our, our 
meandering answer there a little bit. <laughs> so it was a good good summary, and they're all good options in terms of where to put money. It's just a matter of what's right for this person specifically. Right. And that's, you know, as we wrap up, that's one thing I want to touch on as well. Um, we don't know too much about all these people's situations, just what they give us in the questions. So nothing that we said here was specific um, to you listening or to the people who asked the questions. It's just general, generic advice um, to give more specific actual investment advice or financial advice, planning advice. We would need to come in and, and, and sit down with you on a one-to-one basis and you know be able to give you more specific advice that way. So nothing we said on here was specific advice. Just wanted to uh, cover that. So that's going to do it for episode 207. Uh, I will make the cliche joke and say that we will see you next year. Uh, That's the big sigh for the episode. My terrible joke. We did it. All right. Uh, We'll see you next week, guys. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you, and it might take you 30 seconds or less, and it would mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know. And let the team know as well. And you can do this very easily by subscribing to the podcast. It's probably the biggest favor you can do for me right now, and it's really simple. Just go over to iTunes, search for Maluli Asset, and click subscribe. Again, it'll only take a few seconds to subscribe. And if you subscribe now, it'll really help me out a lot. Thanks again.